0: This is Last Drinks
1: Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey, beautiful friends. How is everyone going? Good? Excellent. Me too. Before we jump into this next episode of Last Drinks, I just wanted to do a bit of admin, or Radmin, as I like to call it. Um, Firstly, to let you all know, the book launch went really well. Uh, You may have seen me on the television. I was on the Sunday Project desk. I've been on the Today Extra couch chatting about Last Drinks, my book. It is out now in all good bookstores, and I can say that with conviction because I have wandered into a few of my local bookstores and seen my book on the shelf. And it's just such a cool, such a cool experience. Uh, I went into Big W and it was in the health and wellness section. I went into Dimmix and it was like the top directly under the middle of the sign that said last releases uh new releases not last releases new releases and yeah and and then I've had loads of my really beautiful buddies and thank you to everyone you know who you are who um went out to their local bookstores and just filmed my book and then I've put it in a little reel on Instagram which is super fun so that's really cool I've also finished recording the audiobook of Last Drinks for those of you that have been requesting it it's coming. G&D Media who are based in the US have acquired the rights to the audiobook. What does that mean? It just means that uh, I have like a fully fledged uh, audiobook publishing company backing the audiobook. Um I've recorded the whole thing. I lost my voice in the process. But it's done and they have it and they are turning it into an audiobook as I record this. So I'm hoping and they are hoping that it will be ready um, the first week of August, which will align with the timing of the Last Drinks book release in Northern America. So um, that's really cool. And speaking of Northern America, if you live in Northern America... And you are part of a sobriety community or you have a Sober Living podcast or platform and you would like to talk to me about the book and its release in the US, hit me up, uh, send me a DM on Instagram through at Maz Compton or at Last Drinks Pod and I'd love to collaborate Um I had a really wonderful collaborative chat with Matt Jur, who hosts Sober Friends Pod. He's from Connecticut, um and I've had some wonderful feedback from the u s on that episode, which is nice. So if you are a an American, um sorry, my accent offends you, um, <laughs> I'd love to yeah, I'd love to have a chat. love to get the word out there in America about last drinks. Heading your way, heading to the states, so that's fun. um what else can I tell you i have I do have a bit of news, but I can't drop it yet, but it's really exciting um yes I, there's a a super exciting, really fun collaboration on the way. I will have more details at the mid to late August point. But um, yes, I can't share that. But just so you know, there's a few other things in the works at Last Drinks HQ. Things have been busy and they're busy because I have just such a solid audience who are connecting with this podcast and these stories. And I just love it so much. And I feel so grateful to each and every one of you who have downloaded an episode um we've clocked up nearly 60,000 downloads now and that number is astronomical to me when i really think about you know just o- just over a year ago i started this podcast because i wanted to talk about sobriety and i just thought i'd create a space for us to have shared experience honest conversation And I felt like starting with somebody's last drink is a good starting point because there's so many things that lead them to that moment. And there's so many things that happen after that moment. And it has just proven to be um, a really successful podcast. And I'm just truly grateful to everyone who tunes in every week, who subscribes, who rates and reviews and who um, gives me your feedback. I just I love it so much. So just wanted to say, thank you so much. And with that, let's get into the next episode. Um, This episode is with Michelle McDonald. She is a sobriety coach and mentor. And before she got sober on the 1st of October, 2021, which is where our conversation will begin, Uh, She was a massive booze hound and she had a really problematic relationship with alcohol. She had lots of day ones and lots of never, ever agains, And so um, I'm really, I'm really excited about digging into her story about what it was about the 1st of October, 2021 that stuck for her and, and sharing her story with you. So um, that's it from me. Enjoy the chat. Next week. Can I do a little heads up? Next week. I sit down with somebody who works in media, who I legitimately never thought I would ever have on a sobriety podcast and who has not spoken publicly to my knowledge about his decision to be sober um, for the last eight or so months. And It is going to be a wild ride because he and I have a rich history in media together. So I'll leave that there for now. So next week is going to be an absolute treat. But I know that um, Michelle McDonald is a wonderful human and just as delightful to talk to. So please enjoy Last Drinks with Michelle McDonald. Before I ask you to tell me about your last drink, which... Must've been at the end of September, 2021. Correct. The end of September. I just have to do a full disclosure that I have the most liquids right now. I have a coffee. I also have a mixed berry smoothie and I have a bottle of water. And as I was walking in to record this, cause I'm at work at the radio station, my co-host was like, how many liquids have you got right now? I'm like, well, I'm doing a potty chat. I feel like I need a coffee. I'm going to go to the gym afterwards, so I need the smoothie and then the water if I get parched. So full disclosure.
2: So we might need a toilet break somewhere in between there. (laughs) Maybe. But could you
1: please tell me? I'm so interested to hear your story. You, I mean, you help people in their sobriety now. You're a sober mentor and coach, which is so amazing. And I just, I love people who work in this space and who help people help themselves. Um, But tell me about
2: your last drink. Yeah, so my last drink um, was pretty uneventful, really. The lead-up was probably more significant in that my relationship with alcohol just got worse and worse and more full-on as, as years and time went by. But my last drink was the um, 30th of September, 2021. I started a 90-day challenge on the 1st of October and I never looked back. And up
1: until that moment, like you just said then, your relationship with alcohol was becoming, you know, more and more problematic Mm. for you. And so had you chosen or tried to stop? Had you had day ones and never, ever agains in the lead up to this?
2: Yeah, I think that was my nickname, like day one. (laughs) Day one. (laughs) Day one or never again, never again. Um, Look, I loved having a drink and I felt like it was really intrinsically part of who I was. I was just shell with the wine and everything I did, whether it was a lunch with the girls or a brunch or a this or a that, it was always around having it with a wine. And it just reached a point, particularly around that COVID period, where I just was starting earlier and earlier and... I felt emptier and emptier and I was trying to fill it with this liquid that I thought was going to be this magic elixir and it just just wasn't.
1: And did you find yourself, I mean, the pandemic was, I still have this conversation with my husband where I'm like, did that actually happen? Like Mm. we lived through a pandemic, like the whole world shut its doors. Everything Mm. was closed for business. And I think for me, I was on an extended maternity leave. And when I say that, I mean, I had a kid at 39 and I was out of the industry that I'd worked in up until pretty much that point. And I had zero plans on getting back into the industry. Right. So Mm. I had, you know, a one-year-old, I think the world shut down on March 23, which is my son's first birthday. So I was just not really super affected because I was just in like mumtown and I didn't really feel the effects of it as I've heard other people describe when they're in business and going to a workplace every day and all of a sudden you still had to do your job but you had to stay at home. The the reason why I'm circling around this is I want to know like – Pre-pandemic, would you would you consider yourself a social drinker? And then, how did your relationship with alcohol change when you couldn't socialise with people?
2: Yeah, look, I a social drinker would be a really nice way to describe it, but it was much it was much heavier than just social drinking. I was still drinking every day, mostly a bottle of wine, sometimes more depending on what had happened, you know, with the kids or work mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I work in aviation. So we were hit really hard, really early on with COVID and the option to work from home just wasn't there. So mm. I found myself with an already existing crutch, yeah. which was what I lent to when I was feeling sad, I'd have a drink. When I was feeling happy, I'd have a drink.
0: Yeah.
2: When I wanted to do anything or or not feel anything is what mm. you start to learn in those sober years, I would have a drink. So when I found myself with copious amounts of time and not a huge amount to do, my friend was there in the fridge. Yeah. And I tried to make it glamorous, you know, I'd sit out by our pool in the sunshine and go, Oh gosh, this is fine, isn't it? And then mm. realise it was eleven o'clock in the morning. And that's not mm. cool. <laughs> so it was it was a, a relationship that I had and it was a something that I had leant on for a really long time mm. and I think you know a lot of people say what was your rock bottom I think I had a series of rock bottoms Maz yes. I think I just yes. had rock bottom and then I'd crawl myself up and then I might have another tumble I don't feel like I ever really rolled completely down a hill mm. but I would have to say that couple of years of COVID where you combine an existing um, coping mechanism combined yeah. with the removal of everyone that you love. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. It's Plus huge. your
2: employment. Yeah. Then you really only have this one portion of your identity left, which was Shell the Drinker. Yeah. And so that's how I forged through.
1: I think it's really interesting what you touched on about rock bottom because I think we really need to rethink that because mm. what I've learned from humans is that we're very resilient and that can be great and it can also be our worst enemy because mm-hmm. I say that because... If you're waiting for a rock bottom moment to change your relationship with alcohol, we are so resilient that we will keep finding lower rock bottoms. Mm-hmm. We will find, it, because it's not that bad, it's not as problematic as the next person or it doesn't look like in my life like the movies, so it can't be that bad that I need to do something about it. And because we're resilient and we are, love our comfortability so much we will lie to ourselves and entrap ourselves because our problem quote unquote isn't so bad it's not that bad that I need to do anything about it and so I think when you know that resilience factor can be it can work in the reverse where we're like well it isn't that bad so well maybe this is the rock bottom but it can't be a rock bottom because I got up or because I, I was able to do three days without alcohol. So obviously I don't have a problem, you know, and I think Mm. all of this bargaining that we do, and I was absolutely in that bargaining stage for a good year of my life, Mm. convincing myself that I didn't have a problem and trying to handle it. And until I finally realized it, for me, it was just a line in the sand. And I think when you say to someone, well, it's a line in the sand, all of a sudden you have control of Mm -hmm. your situation and all you need to do instead of crawl out of a rock bottom is actually draw a line in the sand and make a different choice, which is what you did on the 1st of October, 2021, right? Like you woke up like every single other day that you had woken up, but for some reason that day you drew that line in the sand. So what was it about that 90-day challenge for you that set you on this sobriety path that you've managed to safeguard? Is there like a standout thing that you can, and you might not know
2: the answer, but if you can articulate it, I'd love to hear it. I don't think for me, there has been one standout moment in sobriety. I think it's a series of beautiful, priceless, horrible, challenging amazing life-changing moments that yeah. all form that that one day at a time yeah look when yeah. I when I signed up for the 90-day challenge which I did with Danny Carr in How I Quit Alcohol program I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know if I was going to make the 90 days I didn't know if I was going to keep going I mm. didn't know what I was going to do I just knew that I needed to do something yeah so I entered that with a really open mind but also without attaching any labels or expectations or any predetermined ideas of how it was going to look for me. Mm. Um, And I think that really helped because by the time I hit about six weeks, I knew I was done. Wow. I was just done. There is no way I could see anything coming into my life Mm. that would make me want to go back to who I was and Mm. how I was living because it wasn't really living it was kind of existing yeah but barely on some days mm. you know when we're talking a, a moment ago about that rock bottom and, and I think you're exact right with that with those moments we can create what the rock bottom is for ourselves yeah. but we also mm-hmm. can create this disconnect or this facade that we present to the world yeah. of how yeah. how I am yeah and yeah. and if I look fine And I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning like I was to go to the gym and I'm doing all the things, maybe not very well (laughs) and with a pounding hangover, but I'm doing them. Mm. So if I'm doing them, I've got that resilience and I can keep going. Um, But yeah, I think for me, those teeny tiny stepping stones of sobriety have been what have kept me going because I'm really an all or nothing person, Maz. So it's like I'm either at the gym seven days a week doing it all, or I'm on the couch eating Tim Tams, man. Like, it's like there's yeah. there's, no, there's no middle ground. So I knew early on if I tried to jump into sobriety, and I'm not saying I didn't jump in with commitment, but if I jumped in with these expectations that it was going to, this one thing was going to make it all better, mm. I was going to be really disappointed because what we find when we start going down this path of sobriety is you have to do the work, man. Mm-hmm. And it, some of us do. can't and it's it's not what we signed up for. It's sort yeah. of you think I just have to stop drinking. That's all I have to do. I just have to stop drinking and it's so much deeper than that.
1: It is. And, I, you know, sometimes I think we subconsciously know this, right? And so we'd rather go to the gym with a pounding headache than unpack our shit because <laughs> there's so much in there for a lot of us. Which is why we probably end up leaning on alcohol in the first place, right? Because at some point it has served a purpose, whether it's to escape, whether it's to have that feeling of relax, whether it's to um, numb the anxiety heading into it. Like for for a lot of people, alcohol is a solution at some point in their life until it's the problem. And Mm. that's the tricky thing with it. And so if we can learn to exist in the uncomfortability of whatever it is we need to exist in that is how we're supposed to experience life and this is what I say about sobriety it's a superpower because it doesn't just mean quitting drinking doesn't mean your life will become perfect it doesn't mean that your partner will all of a sudden start doing all this shit that you want them to do that they just don't do because they're not a mind reader. It doesn't mean that your children will behave perfectly. It doesn't mean that you're going to repair every relationship. But what it does, it affords you the ability to do life whole, fully present and 100% in whether it's good, bad or indifferent. And that is the experience we're supposed to have in life. And I think for so many of us, we don't want to feel bad things. We don't want to feel pain or rejection or anxious. So we drink because it it dissipates those feelings. That's not the true expression or experience of life that we're supposed to have. So when you start having that full expression of life in those first six weeks, isn't it mind-blowing? You're like, mm. my head is clear. The sky is brighter. Mm. I feel like I'm living my life and that is how we support but we get so used to being dull and numb and all hung over that that just becomes you know like your go-to default in life is running at a seven or even a six right yeah with alcohol
2: and you don't you just don't see all the things that are out there and I think we most of us start drinking because we do think it enhances things you know we we have it to celebrate we have it for all the things it's it's and it's deeply ingrained in our culture you know mm. you're looked at at a bit you know you're a bit wonky if you're not having a drink you know like that's that's what we're growing up with that's what our our kids are ingesting that's changing which is amazing mm, it's so good but, yeah fine, but when fine. we start to learn about what we need to do to get by in life and what we how we function and and, and how we do things and we learn mm-hmm. that we need to do that with a drink then that's where shit starts falling apart because it, because it goes from being an add-on to your foundation yeah yeah and then when your foundation falters Yep. You, you, things start to things start to fall apart but that's first six weeks of sobriety that you were talking about I don't think it even stops then Mas, I was at the gym the other morning and I came out and it was the most beautiful sunrise and I yeah. was like
1: did it always look like that Yeah, I know it's I call that the progressive revelation of sobriety so I'm eight and a half years in and I still have pinch me moments where I'm like oh, this is new this is a new mm-hmm. sober benefit Um, And that's nearly a decade down the track. So I just know that they're profound moments in early sobriety. And Mm. I think at some point you have enough of them to go, I am done. Because I don't now want to roll the dice and risk losing this experience that I think is the true essence of what we are supposed to experience for a night out. Like it just becomes a non-event. And the thing is, right, like you and I having this conversation is easy because we've both had that experience. But for someone listening who hasn't had the experience and they're curious, it's like, oh, it's so scary. It's so scary to think about being in society and not drinking alcohol when it is so ingrained in our culture. So as a sober mentor and a sober coach, What's that bit of advice that you give someone who's teetering on the edge, who's like, I'm sober curious, I want to dip my toe in the pond, but I'm terrified that I'm going to lose my friends and die of boredom?
2: <laughs> well, look, I don't think, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach in, in, in the advice of sobriety, mm. but I think it really comes down to those little things. And I think for me, I fall back on how good is your life now think about that you know how are you existing what does every day look like for you you get up you've got a headache you feel that guilt and regret and shame your mouth probably feels like the bottom of a bird cage you've got a function if you've got little kids you've got all that stuff you've got life and you're functioning maybe not on all cylinders hmm. when you start to remove that substance, You start getting some of that energy and those cylinders back. And that's where I think our small wins come from. When we start doing life a little bit easier, we start waking up with a pep in our step or, you know, we don't have a headache or that first time you go to the gym and you realize, oh, I'm not going to vomit after a burpee because they're hard. Mm. It's because I'm not hungover. Mm. I, I think there's a really simple sort of almost a vision to say, what does it look like now? Let's try and make that a bit better. Because that's ultimately what we're going to do. It's not the Instagram version of sobriety. People have to live this. People have to function Mm. in their life. They have to deal with shit that goes on, that everyone has stress, jobs, kids, partners, mother-in-laws, whatever it might be, Mm. that we have to work our way through. And I think if we can get through those things, that makes our little sober moments and sober sunrise and think all the much better.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So in your story, when when did you have your first drink? Like when did you start drinking? Were you a teenager? Or was it because that was, that was my mm. story? I feel like it was just mm. inevitable as a teenager that you were going to get wasted at a party, probably have a terrible experience, but for some reason we keep drinking and then as an
2: adult, it just becomes your crutch. Yeah. I was a probably early teens, maybe 13, 14. And I, you know, you'd steal something from your parents' cupboard or you'd make rocket fuel and mix everything together and go, oh my God, how did I drink this? And I still remember thinking, oh, this is awful. So gross. And you yeah. kind of train yourself to like it or you enjoy the effects enough to go, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do to get there. Um so probably binge drinking, Maz, in the in those teenage years. Mm. In my twenties, I really didn't drink a huge amount. I was probably what you would call a normal drinker, if there is such a one. Yeah. In in, in that you know in that labels situation, it probably wasn't until my late twenties to thirties when I sort of started to have it in the house all the time and would have wine time. Mm. And I think what happened, wine time got progressively earlier and earlier in the day and then I started to really like how that made me feel and how that made me function and I could attach all the jokes around mummy wine time and let's go to shells it'll be a boozy lunch and and all those sorts of things and that's what I as it became intrinsically part of who I was or uh, who I thought I was Mm -hmm. and that was one of the really really frightening things for me as was who was I going to be without, without it. this without this safety net this thing that i would hold in front of me and mm. revere so highly that i thought made me who i was and i think that was the thing you know all those years of drinking i kind of lost who i was i yeah. forgot mm. all the things that i loved and that mm. i brought to the table without it and mm. there, some of the wins that come in sobriety you start to remember what it feels like to laugh genuinely yeah or to feel authentically
1: Mm. you know
2: or to really connect with someone look at them and know that they're looking at you and seeing you that's huge that's a really big human connector Mm. and alcohol even though people seem to think that oh we have a few drinks and we have a laugh and we we connect better you're really not it pulls you further and further away from the people that mean the most to you
1: well and also because of the way alcohol works in our brain like we think it's a connector but then you forget most of the night mm. like it actually affects your memory it impairs your memory so mm. if you've been hanging out with someone and then you legitimately do not remember that's not a connector that's a disconnector um how did it did it affect your family dynamic when you when you went sober this final sort of mm-hmm. t- october 2021 How did, you know, how did you express that to your family and what were the, were there any sort of big shifts at home?
2: My um, family were really, really good. Um, I think my husband was um, not really sure what to anticipate. I think he was like, oh, is this going to be cyclone shell? Like, what is this going to mean? And I was really honest up front. I just, I remember saying to James, I don't know how this is going to look. But I really want to give it a try. I talked to both my boys. My boys are older. um, And I talked to both them about just making some lifestyle changes and wanting to be healthier and those sorts of things. Mm. And once they sort of started seeing some changes, it's always been a really positive thing. In fact, my husband stopped drinking at the beginning of this year. So he's not had a drink. Um, And he was not in sort of my field of drinking. He was one of those horrible people that could have one drink and then put it down and walk away. Just sit on a drink all night. Yeah. And I'd be like, what is wrong with you? I've had 10. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they, they were amazing. Um, I did lose a couple of friendships Mm. over the, the, the space of the nearly two years that I've been sober for. And, I'm not going to lie, like that kind
1: of hurts. It's hard. It's so hard. And But was it because there was a confrontation or did it naturally fizzle out because you didn't have anything in common with that person anymore because you weren't drinking?
2: Yeah, it was definitely the latter. Yeah. I, think, I think those friendships were built on a foundation of yep. drinking-related activities. Yep. And when those drinking-related activities stopped, and even though I did try to replace them with, you know, let's go for a walk and a coffee or let's go, I'm a big op shopper, let's go op shopping and have some lunch. You know, it happened a couple of times and then I think the foundation was flawed and and they, and they dissipated. So, But in being positive and I'm a big believer in the universe bringing you what you need, some of those relationships need to leave you so that you have space for new ones that come in.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: In this community, there are so many amazing, beautiful people out there that are so open to connecting mm. that I think with hanging on to the past, you don't allow your future all that room that it needs. And the, the amazing friendships that I've made in the last two years, some of those I feel stronger in than people I've known all my life.
1: Yeah, I think I know that it's a huge fear for people who are sober curious about and I get this question a lot it's like but what if I lose my friends I'm like yeah it you know what you probably will lose some of them and you just have to accept that and that's a part of being a grown-up and being an adult and you will only lose the friends that aren't serving you and it's also okay that some friendships have expiration dates, you know, and I think we'd all love to live in the friend's apartment in New York City and be, you know, (laughs) like, isn't that just the dream? Like I've got these six besties and we all live next door to each other and we're going to do life together and all kind of really like weirdly date and then marry each other, but whatever. And it's just not reality. And I think, Mm. you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't hang out with anyone that I went to high school with, but they were my best friends when I was 16, you know, but I didn't know at 16, anyone who's in my tight inner circle, in their sanctum now. And I think, yeah, I, I feel the same. Like I had a couple of like pretty strong friendships naturally fizzle out. There was no confrontation. There was no weirdness. We just stopped hanging out because I wasn't going to the pub to have drinks with them. And they, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't get their schedule coordinated to spend time with me and then time and distance and then you know yeah it dissipates is it disappointing absolutely but it's also okay it's so mm. fine and i think people are you know the other thing i say is like no one wants a needy friend like you don't want no. you don't want to be white knuckling friends in your life going oh my god don't leave me you know mm. like you you want to sit comfortably in a room with someone and both want to be there and both show up for each other and both serve each other in that friendship. And if a friendship isn't serving you, it won't last the distance in sobriety and that's okay. I don't want to lie to people and go, oh no, like I've got all all my friends were fine with it. Like some of my friends were horrible about my decision to be sober, like so rude and Mm. so offensive and so offended. Like it was a real... It was a real wake up call, um, and but that's okay. Like I'm, I'm okay. And whoever's listening to this, and this is landing for them, you will be okay, and you will. I love that you said that to Michelle. There's, there are other people waiting for your friendship, yeah. and yeah. and they will appreciate it for what it is in sobriety, which is just such a blessing.
2: Yeah. And I think also, you know, people's reactions to your sobriety and decisions you make around alcohol in your life, their reaction is more about their issue or their perception. Yeah. It really does challenge people's viewpoints. It really mm-hmm. does put people in a position where it's like, oh God, is the, is the spotlight going to be on me now? Or should I be should I be looking at that? And I do find people that are really staunchly against people who don't drink it's usually because they have something that they're not yet ready to address in their own self yeah. and it's yeah. easier to put that out there onto someone else than think about it and feel it and and deal with it. Yeah, I,
1: I couldn't agree more and that is the reality when you're the outlier doing things a little bit differently and eight and a half years ago mm-hmm. I was definitely the only sober person that I knew I was my only sober friend, <laughs> but when you are the outlier, uh, it's empowering and it, it can be really lonely sometimes too. Mm. And it is surprising how people react and respond. And I think it's just really important to reiterate, like you can't control other people and, yeah. and God, wouldn't it be great if we could control other people? <laughs> Oh my God, I would have a field day, um, but you can't, I've tried. I've tried in my relationship, I've tried to control my toddler uh, and I can't, I can't do it because everyone is their own self and everyone has autonomy over their own decisions. And that includes whether or not they respond or react. And I think one thing that um, that I talk about this in my book, the difference between response mechanism and reaction Is something that I really discovered, and I found in sobriety, I gave myself the opportunity to just count to 10 and respond well. And when I wasn't sober, I was so off the handle and reactionary. And it's just such a better way to approach life when you can give yourself a beat and respond. But also remember, that doesn't mean that everybody else is going to have that epiphany either. And so they might react and they might react badly, but you can still respond to them with grace and love. Um, And when you're in sobriety, I think that that becomes easier to do. Like I found that I just wasn't such a jerk. Like I Mm. used to have a really short fuse and I... I am not telling you that I don't fly off the handle. I I can be as feisty as the next person, especially when I'm tired, but I do feel like I'm more patient and I do feel like I have a bigger capacity for dickheads than what I had <laughs> when I was drinking. I don't know yeah. if you feel the same, yeah. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I,
2: I think your dickhead radar is better as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because like you're you've got, more in
1: tune with everything. Right? Like, yeah. I don't want to be all weird and spiritual and talk about vibration, but
2: there is something in that. Absolutely, for sure, for sure. And I think that um, respond and reaction piece is huge. And I think that's something I've certainly been feeling a bit more in as this sort of second year of sobriety has come in Is is that you don't have to react immediately. Mm. Taking that moment to actually... Respond. There's so much more power and and almost a grounding feeling in that because we would in the day you'd get a text or you'd something had happened and you just react because you're fueled by alcohol essentially and you don't know your feelings and you don't know how to channel channel your anger, your opinion, your voice, the situation, whatever it might be. Whereas sitting back and taking ten before you respond is huge because Mm. it gives you an opportunity to respond how you feel you should not how you you think you should
1: yeah feel your feelings don't think your feelings something Mm. my therapist and I are working through at the moment (laughs) Um, my filter on that is like if it's not life-threatening get back to it tomorrow Mm. And like, I mean, you work in aviation, so actually you might mm-hmm. be in a, are you, what do you do in aviation? <laughs> you don't fly planes, do you? <laughs> no. i
0: <laughs> don't oh, no. no. <laughs> Cause I was like, you actually
1: might be in a life threatening situation, <laughs> but, but for most people, like I'm not a paramedic. So, um, you know, I work in radio, nothing in radio is life threatening. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, that's my field on stuff is like, if it, this is not life threatening, then I'm just going to give it a beat. I don't need to. I don't need to get back to anyone. You don't owe anyone anything. And I think it's better, and I've learned this too, to take the time, count to 10. I'm trying to teach this to my four-year-old. Like, hey, mate, just count to 10 before you blow your lid. And then you are you have a greater capacity to respond well. And I am modeling that because it's something that I've learned to do. And mm. nothing is, is too, nothing's that urgent or important in my life. You know, it's mm. really, really not. Um, and some people work in industries and it is, and then mm. you, okay, great. Get to work, do your job. But yep. for me, it's like, it, it, it's not life-threatening. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna respond when I am good and ready and I'll give you a good, I'll give you a great response when I'm yeah. good and ready. You know, it's like taking your power. And I mm. think the sobriety is just in general, a power move. <laughs> it's like you take oh, your absolutely. power, you take back your control. And not control in a negative way. I mean, like you just become in control of yourself, your choices, your decisions, because you're not being led by a substance that's really rewiring your brain chemistry and helping you make dumb choices, you know? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you, you're spot on there, Maz. It's just, we, we do, we get led and alcohol makes decisions for us oh, God, that we crazy. think- that we are standing behind. And then, you know, the next days are a perfect example of that because you'll go, oh, my God, oh my I did God. what?
1: Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, the anxiety, the regret, the deep remorse, all of the things. Like, And then you carry that. You carry that load emotionally. You carry and then you're living in guilt. And so, of course, you're not showing up as your best self. Like you're sleep deprived. No. You feel like utter crap and you've made some terrible choices. Like no one's living out of a great place and then you do that week in week out day in day out and like, no wonder we feel like we're going insane and absolutely until you stop drinking and it takes a good couple of weeks for your liver to dry out for your you know for your brain to to start working properly again for your hormones to rebalance for your circadian rhythm to stick, to s- s- go back to its rhythm mm. and when that all clicks you go, oh, mm. oh, this is nice.
2: <laughs> I know. And I think, you know, when, when all that happens, it also allows you that time. I don't know about yourself, but my internal dialogue dialogue when I was a drinker was horrendous. Like the mm. way I spoke to myself, I wouldn't even dream of speaking yeah. to anybody else. Mm. So I think you're not only carrying the physical um, characteristics of a hungover, deeply deeply sad person you've got this dialogue going through your mind of what did you do that for how much mm. did you drink are you serious what did you do? what were you thinking come on just pull yourself together we can do this that's on loop in your brain the whole time it's like you've got this roller coaster of negative energy energy surging through your body and mm. there's nothing positive there and I think when you start to let your body heal yeah your mm. mind and your heart just intuitively follow and you have those moments and you go oh you're actually not too bad or today feels really good and that's just because it does because it is
1: yeah and you can see it because you're not living in a world of pain and shame you know and and going back to what we first talked about like that is one decision away like Absolutely, sobriety is, it can be difficult. Yeah. It's really challenging. It, it's confronting. It's so many things, but it's also only one choice away. And that choice is, I'm not going to drink today. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then if you keep making that choice every day, regardless of the circumstances, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm sober. I'm a sober person and I'm living my life out of this place, you know, and yeah. this space
2: and this feels better. And never underestimate the circuit breaker. Yeah. You start doing that, You one of the things I've noticed is you're never really sure who's watching. Mm. And that's in a good way. You know, when you start making things change in your family, like your children are going to grow up in a house where they don't know what alcohol is on a daily basis. That's a circuit breaker. Mm. Yeah. that That's breaking societal cultural emotional family circuit breaking that we've had going for a really really long time and I think that should be a driving force for a lot of people to make that change as we move forward you can be the start of a a domino effect or or a wave you know Mm. people will feel it
1: and you know I like it's generational change too right like Mm -hmm. you talk about I always say I'm changing the family tree. Yeah. Like I'm the person in my family that changed the trajectory of my family because mm-hmm. I got sober. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much power in generational change and I want I want these conversations to be the normal ones. You know, like yeah. when when Henry is at school or, you know, in his late teens, I really hope that we're laying the seeds and the foundation for him to exist in a world where if he's with a bunch of mates and one of his friends is drinking, that all of his friends are like, oh, buddy, what happened? Are you okay? Because obviously shit's going down if you're having a drink. What's going on with you? Do you need help? As opposed to, which is what it is now, The sober person in the room is the one that gets questioned about if they're okay. And it's like the sober person is getting okay. (laughs) And I can't wait for that power shift to happen. And I know it's coming. I think there's some really encouraging data out about the younger generations. They just do not care for alcohol at all. Mm. They're much more savvy. I think all the research that's coming out about alcohol being a carcinogen and a risk factor for so many different cancers It's only a matter of time before Mm -hmm. there's the uprising. Um, But I love these conversations because we're the problem generation with alcohol. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like the next generation, I think they're going to be okay. I want to help people who are stuck in that blame shame cycle, who didn't have the experience that our kids are going to have with alcohol. They had the experience Mm -hmm. that we had with alcohol and that's where it's become so ingrained and so intrinsically linked to everything we do with each other. And I, I just want to break all of that stigma off and, Mm. um, and rewrite the narrative for women in midlife. You know, it's like we can do midlife without alcohol, ladies, we can do hard things without booze, chicks and dudes. Like if there's, you know, it's, it's relevant for men. Absolutely. But I think, you know, there's, there's something about gal pals and women listen to women and we need to support each other all in our sobriety journey. And I would love, yeah, I just, I love doing that. And I know that you do that through, um, through what you do. So if just wrapping up Michelle, if people yep. want to connect with you and they need a sober mentor or a coach or they've mm-hmm. got questions, where can they reach out?
2: Yeah. So predominantly on Instagram. So I am at the sober connection and I do my, my, follower base and the people that I work with are predominantly female and Mm. they're predominantly sort of in that age bracket of mid 30s to even late 70s I've been been coaching some some ladies who are changing changing the dynamic of their life and the trajectory of where they want it to go and that's that's really powerful because a lot of people's thought process as we get to that that age bracket is oh a bit of The damage is done and that's yeah. the thing. We can start reversing the damage straight away by yeah. changing what we put in our glass mm. and then changing what we put in our mind. So I'm happy for people to reach out. I get a lot of messages of just what should I do, where could I go. Um, I mightn't be the right person for them but I know a few people in the industry and, mm. and that's what's a great thing about sobriety is that um, I don't feel like we're competing with each other. We're no. like all in the same race yeah. and we're here cheering each other on and encouraging and, and providing that, that sounding block that, that women maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago wouldn't have had.
1: Yeah. And I, I think in sobriety, there's no ego. I think that's why it's no. not competitive. So, you know, like I've worked in media and, you know, there's so much ego. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. if this artist talked to this radio station first, the other radio station won't even touch them because, you know, like all of the ego-driven BS and in sobriety there is no ego because you park it at the door with your Mm -hmm. bottle of whiskey. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why we are all so encouraging because we are all here to help each other and we're all on this journey together you know, and there's, there's, if you're going to try sobriety, my, my greatest bit of advice is to find someone who's already doing it, find an expert. And by expert, I mean, someone who's further down the road than you Mm -hmm. and ask them to, to guide you, to help you, to coach you, or to just sit with you and hold space for you, um, Mm -hmm. to be your cheerleader, your encourager, have support. Absolutely. But I think having someone who's Doing it and has done it for a while is really helpful. It's like it, it, I don't want to say student teacher, but kind kind of the vibe, right? You know, you don't you don't go to university to just hear the dude who's studying the same thing as you do the lecture. You go because there's a philosopher at the front of the room yeah. because yeah. they're the expert. I think if you can have that headspace of like, okay, I'm I'm learning, I'm on my L plates. Mm. And I'd like to get a licensed driver to teach me <laughs> the road rules in sobriety. It, it's a good, it's a good way to start for sure.
2: Yeah, I think it's a bit like you know handing the baton in a relay race. Yeah. you still you still keep running, but you hand it to the next person. You say right now, here's some of the tools. Here's, here's what we can do. Mm. You start, because everyone runs their own race. No yeah. one's, sobriety is not one size fits all. Mm. You know, the pants that I wear are going to be different to the ones that you wear, and your journey in it's going to be different as well. Yeah. But doing it alone, and, so, and some people do, but when you can do it with others, it's just so much more rewarding and the compassion and the connection and, mm. and just the joy that you can get and give from other people.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree, Michelle. Thank you so much for sharing your last drink story with me. It's Aww. so nice to finally connect with you. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's a pleasure. Some... Michelle and I have been on a uh, just to get the listeners because, like this <laughs> chat has been postponed by me predominantly so many times. It's anyway we we've
2: we've done we got it there
1: and it was so worth the wait. So I, do, I thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate you and your patience.
2: My pleasure. It's As I said early on, I, I, everything happens in divine time. It's all good. The, the story gets out there when it needs to get out there. So all good.
1: Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at
0: Pod.